TCL is a proud sponsor of the 1500 ESPN Studios. TCL, America's fastest-growing TV brand. This is information not being reported by anyone else. You want the scoop? Here it is with Darren Doogie Wolfson. After spreading some holiday cheer, some Christmas cheer, morning and afternoon, work duty called, and I figured, hey, if I need to be here for TV news, for the 10 o'clock news on Channel 5, hey, I may as well find a studio. It's easy to find a studio on Christmas Day night. You don't need to fight with anybody. Hey, I'm not like Joe Suture. I'm not like Garage Logic. I don't have my own studio for podcasting sake. So oftentimes I need to fight for studio space. But on Christmas Day night, hey, not a surprise. A studio was wide open. So lo and behold, here I am. It is Scoop Podcast episode 192. It is brought to you by MyBookie, MyBookie.com. Think about this four-day stretch of great college football action, all the bowl games with the two playoff games on Saturday, then a Sunday full of intriguing NFL games with playoff implications left and right. So if you're thinking about jumping in, maybe you got a nice Christmas present. Think about investing that Christmas present into MyBookie, MyBookie.com. If you have a solid opinion on one of these football games in the coming days, why not win some money? You play, you win, you get paid. It is MyBookie. All right, let me digest some of that Chinese food. Picked up some Chinese food on my way in. My favorite place in St. Louis Park. An hour wait. We had to wait an hour to pick up the food. Then to get the food, line out the door. It is a Christmas tradition unlike any other. Enjoying some good Chinese food. So I need to digest. I'll digest it right now as we bring into the conversation one of our favorites. He is NBA analyst, former ESPN analyst, NBA skills coach. He's worked with Kevin Martin, Joe Kim Noah, Corey Brewer, and many others over the years. He is David Thorpe. David, always appreciate your time. We're talking here on Christmas Day night. DL like the games the NBA chose this year for Christmas, the five games here on Christmas Day, or would you prefer, you know, I mean, heck, Kawhi Leonard and the Raptors? I mean, could there have been a little bit more foresight in picking the best 10 teams to play here on Christmas Day? You know, I hadn't thought about it there. I watch games every night, so it it, it never occurs to me to think about it, although I, I did tweet something, God, back in the or late summer, uh, when all these different things went down, I thought, you know, I, I tweeted for fun. Like, ABC just came out with a schedule, you know, uh, Lakers versus uh, Cleveland and, you know, Spurs versus Raptors. And the different, you know, uh, it seemed like the rivalrous kind of stuff that could happen. But whatever, these, you know, they, we all know who they have to play. Uh, this, this Sixers, while we're talking, Sixers-Boston is tied going overtime, actually, as we're speaking. So, um I love that uh, uh, it's competitive. The games are fine. The, the uh, UCM is fine. Uh, I'm, I'm not watching these games as a fan, so I never really think about stuff like that. I mean, I suppose it's the low-hanging fruit, and it is tradition for the Knicks to play at Madison Square Garden on Christmas. Right. But Uncle right. Mercy, I mean, is that the one where you say, okay, NBA, enough is enough. The Knicks are enough of a train wreck. Let's end this tradition. Well, actually, that's a different story. That I agree with. Uh, if you If you want... If you're going to use this day, the NBA, the NBA is going to use this day to announce to the football-watching world, who are just about done with that ridiculous sport, in my opinion, and ready to actually watch a real sport where guys aren't beating their brains in every day, then the Knicks probably aren't a team that should be considered unless they sign someone you know, really good in July. Um, so, yeah, there, there's, I mean, I would have enjoyed watching a lot of the teams play than, than that team. But, um, 
generally speaking, I think they, 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 there's enough good games on now that we're on, and then the, the late ones, I think it's fine. All right, so you watch games every night. So, yeah, I mean, Christmas Day really yeah. isn't atypical for you, okay. for me, for the yeah. diehards. So as you're watching right. night in and night out, David, what, what stands out so far as we, as we approach the, the halfway point of the season? It's a long list. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll start with something that um, I don't think is talked about much, although I, I spoke about it on my, on my, more re- my most recent uh, Count the Days podcast, I think, uh, this last week, um, where the level of play is just so incredible throughout the league. Uh, because, because I watch NBA games and EuroLeague games and ACB games and Israeli league games and games in Finland and Spain, like I said, with ACB in France, um, and because my son's in high school, and, and so I'm taking some of those games in. And I'm not really watching college yet. I'm watching individual uh, players, so that's all clipped up. So it's not really watching anything but really that player or maybe one other guy at a team that throws in the ball. Um, it's, it's sometimes, I think, easy for people to, to, to just ignore how incredibly talented these players are. And I don't mean the threes and the dunks and, and all the great things that we see on highlights. For me, it's much more the basic things. I just, right before we get on the phone, uh, and I just watched uh, an outlet pass, Jason Tatum, and within the, a blink of an eye, he threw it across the court to a hard-charging Marcus Morris, who was able to attack and, and score. And you know, you, you, most leagues in every level in the world can't make that simple pass that Tatum made because it's not simple. You're, you have to time it up. You're throwing it across the court at a guy running fast. You've got to make sure you have a feel for what you can't. There's no time to read where the defenders are on this single play because he caught it and threw it instantly. It's more of a feel. You're almost taking like instant pictures as, the, as, as that play first developed off the rebound. Uh, and yet it's very commonplace in this league. These guys are just, I think one, one of the byproducts of playing 82 games year after year is the, the, the level of precision and understanding of what's going on is incredible. It's exorbitant. And so, so it's one reason why rookies tend to struggle more. And one reason why, for example, Luka Doncic isn't is he's, he's done this as a pro. He's played in lots of games between the EuroLeague and the ACB, the top two leagues in the world after the NBA. He's already played in so many of those that he, he's gotten a sense of you know, a, a larger file in his brain than, than the typical rookie entering the league. So these guys are just amazing. And, and so that's something I really enjoy is watching the little things. Everyone makes mistakes that all sports are a game of mistakes, Darren. But I, I really do appreciate the very simple things these guys do repeatedly and, and almost casually, but it's not casual. It takes a lot of work and you need a lot of experience to make it look as easy as they do. You touched on Doncic. I mean, how about the other rookies? I mean, whether it's Aiton. How about Jaron Jackson Jr.? You know, somewhat lost maybe playing there in Memphis, but, I mean, the game he had the other night beating the Lakers, you know, hits the three at the end, and LeBron James's face finishes with 27 points. He was the fourth overall pick. You know, you go up and down that list. I mean, even Knox. I mean, I'm making fun of the Knicks playing on Christmas, but Knox showed earlier today that, you know, he belongs. You know, Bridges and Charlotte. It's just it's a lengthy list of impressive rookies, maybe as impressive as I can remember in recent memory. I didn't see Knox's final numbers. Uh, he, he's from here, right? So uh, I was coaching my son's AAU team in like sixth grade when Knox's uh, dad was coaching a very good seventh grade, like a sneaker team. And so we, in fact, we played his team a lot. In fact, he, we, he also coached one that our age group too over the years. And Kevin used to come to the games 
Like I remember when he was coming to games as a uh, as just like a rising sophomore in high school that people thought was maybe going to play Florida State football quarterback. Hmm. He was that kind of athlete. He he just kept growing. But so yeah, I've not I didn't see his final numbers today. But you're right. Uh, there's a number of guys, and, and the guy that I like best actually long term is is uh, Jaron Jackson Jr. I'm with you. Yes. I think, yeah, I think he's the best prospect in the class in terms of if everyone were to reach their full potential. I, I think he'd be. I think he'll be the most impactful NBA player over the course of his career. If you start factoring in things like where are they playing, which is in, which increases or decreases the probability odds that that they'll reach their potential, then maybe he'll score some negatives. I, I don't think Memphis. Like I don't think his coach is great. I, don't, I think he's average at best. Is my opinion. The franchise is just okay. Uh, they 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 have rocky times and they still do, but. He might be one of those guys that does, it doesn't matter. Some guys, like Kawhi Leonard needed the Spurs to get him to reach his potential. And, and, and once he kind of reached it, well, now we see what happens when he changes franchises. But I don't know that Jackson does need it. He just needs to be able to be freed up to shoot threes and dribble the ball and take guys as a crossover. If someone coached him up and made him strictly play in the pitch post or made him just play in the low post, then you wouldn't be able to, to you know, attempt to diversify his game and, and enhance it. So, so Memphis has done a good job with that. Uh, yeah, Doncic though is uh, he's beyond exciting. Um, if people haven't watched this guy, that that three he made the other night where he just kind of flicked it like Derek Fisher did years ago. Um, when he made it, when Derek Fisher made it, you're like wow, that's surprising. When Doncic made it, you're like okay, like <laughs> if he's he's gonna make circus shots. That's just he's just that guy. That's just who he is and has been for a long time. Uh, and yeah, Bridges is good. I haven't really studied him much. Aiden's clearly good. I think Trey Young's good. He is good. I, I'm yeah. not. I'm not at all. Yeah, you know, I'm not ready to at all suggest that he can't be a dynamic player. I think he can be. Uh, and so yeah, it's um, these guys. There's a negative to AAU in that they play so many games, and I think. And there's a, I don't want to get into AAU. There, there's some real negatives associated with that. The positive is, and I always say this: if you care, and that's a big thing, if you care. Then you learn from your games, and, and, and games help you create what you're going to practice. Uh, they give you an idea and a reference point of what you need to practice to get better, and then hopefully you're practicing those things so that when you play in the next game, you'll play better. Nothing that you, you don't just, you know, a painter can't just uh, look at his painting one time and fix all the mistakes, and it's great. A good writer can't just do a quick edit, and all of a sudden it's perfect. It takes a long time, almost always. And uh, and so I think that over the course of time, these rookies have already played. In, Kevin Knox has played so many games. Um, Doncic obviously with the professional part of it. So yeah, I think we're seeing a, a couple of maybe five, six, seven years ago, the game wasn't as good for rookies, but uh, they've, they've kind of turned the tide a little bit. And the game teams are starting to figure out how to go at what defense they're doing, and that's that's opened up rookies a little bit more. And I think also coaches done a good job of giving them a chance to make plays. And that's super important. If you're if you're afraid to make a mistake, you probably will, and and then, or you won't even try. Either way, it's bad for the team and bad for you. So coaches are giving them more of a leash, I think, and that that's helpful. I mean, this might be the ultimate second guess, but you're right. I mean, Dantich has been doing this at a professional level for a while. I mean, what the heck? I mean, maybe I get Aiton to Phoenix. You know, being a Phoenix native, you know, seven footer that can do a bunch of stuff. But what the heck were the Kings thinking? Passing on Dantich for Bagley? I just. And again, it's the ultimate second guess. I completely get that. And I actually think Bagley has a chance as well to be a pretty good player. But how the heck did Dantich not go top two? I have no idea what Vlade was thinking uh, or if he was thinking. I don't know. 
I will say this. I don't know. Uh, we're probably going to talk about uh, Dave Yeager and the Kings. I- I'm not as high on him as I once was. He's obviously done fine this year. Uh, they, they've got a lot of young talent because they've been so terrible for so long. Uh, I don't know if um, Bagley would be better if he was somewhere else, like in Memphis, where they, where they just let him play more, not just on the court, not just minutes. But, but uh, playing time is oxygen for sure. But uh, the role in that playing time is kind of like the water. You need both. So getting playing time but an incredibly restrictive role isn't so helpful. And, I, and I'm not suggesting – I don't know enough to know if Dave Yeager's done that with Bagley. I do know that uh, Jackson and Donkic and Young and some of these guys done so well, that they're clearly freed up to, to go play. Just go, don't be afraid. And, and that's, that's really important. But, yes, I, I – I, I would have taken I would have taken Jackson one, Doncic two. Now I didn't study enough to, to give us an informed opinion. I, mean, I had an opinion, but I wouldn't have suggested it to anybody anyone else's because I didn't really study. It's not my job. Uh, I don't I don't write a draft column or or run a team. But uh, but now looking at it, uh, I still think that the kid Bagley, like you said, he has an interest. He has a game like Jackson's. I just think Jackson's going to be a better defensive player, and that's why I really give Jackson. Uh, the, the, the step above everybody else is not just what he can do offensively because he can get you buckets off the dribble as a face-up guy. He can get you buckets in the paint. He's really long. And until you watch him shoot a three, you think he's left-handed. That's how good his left hand is around the rim. Uh, and he can shoot threes. But then you factor in this guy, Tim Duncan, on defense. Like, he, he just has an economy of movement defensively in terms of cutting off angles and, and rotating the people and just a very – Easy way. Duncan would never have won any of the contests in athleticism compared to like a DeAndre Jordan or even now. Look, Willie Cauley Stein moves like a guard and he's you know, 7, 6, 11, whatever he is. Uh, Duncan was never that guy. I watched him play in person in college for a week in, in World University game tryouts. He was like 20, 21. On the, not tryouts, actually on the team. And we, no one ever talked about his athleticism then. I actually was really friendly with, I knew his dad, I knew his coach. Uh, Dave Odom, I knew his uh, son, Lane Odom, really well. He was an assistant coach at Alabama when I was a young coach. No one ever talked about Duncan being this elite athlete like, like Collie Stein is and like Bagley, the very good athlete. Jared Jackson's a good athlete. He's not elite, but that's why I like him so much. He doesn't get himself out of the way. He's always kind of in the way, and I think playing with Marcus Saul, I don't know how much Marcus Saul is teaching him there, but watching his economy of movement, how he's just always in the middle of the action defensively, which is where you want your gigantic defensive center to be, kind of in the middle, mucking things up. Like I, that guy has a chance to be uh, defensive player of the year, and you know, a, a 25 and 11, or maybe 22 and 11 guy, 20, 22 and 14 guy, um, with efficient shooting. Um, yeah, I think he's like I really love him, but I love Doncic too for sure. All right, I'll ask you about Jaeger in a second, but on Jaron yeah. Jackson Jr.'s coach, yeah. I'll admit my bias. Yeah. I mean, J.B. Bickerstaff is somebody I've known since 1998. He was at the University uh-huh. of Minnesota, played for the Gophers, did some broadcasting for the Wolves back in the day. So, I mean, I've gotten to know J.B., so I'll admit that, that J.B. is a friend. But I'm just looking, David. I mean, and a good guy. 17 and, a good and 16. Guy. Oh, he's a fantastic guy. 17 yes. and 16. And I look yeah. at that roster and I say, yeah, I mean, that's even with Jaron. You know, but Mike Conley Jr., what, 33? Marcus Gasol, okay, good player, but how good is he right now? You know, I look at that roster and say it's about a 500 roster. So, J.B. must be doing something right, but you don't like him? 
So, okay, so we can get into it a little bit. Uh, first of all, I, I don't know that Jared Jackson's helping them win games. I have, last I looked at his plus minus, uh, he, he wasn't helping them win. He, he is still a rookie. So there's a big difference between helping a, a team win and looking good uh, because we tend to just notice. I watch them play a lot, but we tend to just notice their positives. And that the plus minus is only looking at the raw numbers, the pure numbers of what's happening every minute you're on the court. So – that is actually on, on the ledger four for JB doing well because he, he has to play that kid. Mm-hmm. So I, he, I, and then this is where I believe there is discussion. I know there's discussion where uh, Jaeger's at odds a little bit with his people because they want Bagley to play more. And I understand. I, I actually am on, the, on Dave's side to some degree. Uh, they've lost for so much there at some point. You've got to start thinking about winning with the other young players they, they have. Although, uh, you know, Buddy Hield isn't a baby anymore. No. Um, he's, you know, he's not a, he's, he's not a, a 28 year old guy in a total peak yet. He's only, I think he's, he's at 26. Those guys want to win some, but I actually think Memphis's roster is built to be better than the 500. Uh, if, if he was, I just don't think, uh, listen, he's like most other guys. I look at it as a bell curve. You, you have the extreme, uh, positive, the best coach in the league. He's not one of those guys. Yeah, the worst coach in the league. I don't. I don't think he's one of those guys. I think he's just in the middle, which is where I put Diego too, by the way. Uh, and 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 the statistics are on my side on this. I actually argued with this for a while until I just saw the overwhelming data of the other people that have studied it. Most of the coaches are about the same. The best guys earn the most money for a reason. They find ways to win wherever they go. And I I don't think the JB is is on that. But I also respect the idea that coaches get better. There's no reason why they can't get better. They need help from management. They need help from ownership. And, of course, they gotta, they got to have players that can win, which is why ownership and management matter. Um, and uh, I just was watching Memphis play. I second-guess a lot of what they run, who they play, how often they play them. I, I have some question marks and adjustments game to game. They're one of those teams that almost always plays about exactly the same every time out. I think that works great early, but I teams – get a feel for stuff and start varying their own thing and you don't, I think it, you fall behind a little bit. And I'm, I, I don't think that's the only reason why they've been struggling more lately, but I do think it's a factor. Plenty fair. I mean, heck, David, you forget more about basketball in five seconds than I'll ever know. So, I mean, I throw it out there, but but I greatly respect your opinion. That's why I love having you on the podcast. He's a great guy. Yeah, no, he like is. Him. Like, like there, there is something to be said about, you know, it, I'll say this there, and you asked me about things I noticed. So here's something else I'll throw in. Again, as someone who's watching all these leagues all the time, and not just watching them, but I, I have friends. I have, I have friends that represent players overseas. I have many, many players that I coach. I think I've had over 200, maybe 250 uh, professional European players over the last you know, 19 years and every possible level, the highest guys making a million dollars a year or more and on down. Players of the year in multiple leagues, I've had all of that. And I also talk to coaches a lot, managers, and management there a lot. Uh, the best thing about the NBA would be represented by guys like J.B., uh, he he gets it. Uh, too many coaches think that they're the show, which is how college is. In Europe, I find that to be the case too often, where they they don't understand that it's it's the the players should have a, a lot more say, a lot more uh, a lot more leeway to make mistakes if they're effort mistakes. Uh, they get overcoached. Rubio had that problem. I told you this before. He just got overcoached, in my opinion, dramatically in Spain by 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 uh, by one guy in particular. Um, and JB does not do that. I, I think he totally gets it. I like his demeanor on the bench. Um, 
I like uh, I like how he treats players with dignity and respect at all times, and they, that counts for something for sure. So, like I said, he like if you told me if you gave him a great roster, he won't screw it up. Uh, some guys would. Uh, I, I think Sam Mitchell would screw up a great roster. I don't think he would. Uh, there's a lot of coaches that would, and a lot of coaches that wouldn't. Um, more coaches that wouldn't than would. There's more average coaches out there than anything, of course, and I, that's where I put them. Where do you put Tom Thibodeau? Great question. I mean, I will tell you honestly, there there was a period of time where I had him in the elite uh, few. I, I didn't. I don't see how you could have argued that he was in the elite few, but I also don't see how you could argue now that he still is. Um, I just. I've been waiting for an adjustment from him. Uh, he was, it's hard to say he was an innovator from some things he was doing defensively, considering I grew up in the 70s and 80s, uh, learning and then coaching that same kind of flood ball side and all of that. I just didn't coach in the NBA because that wasn't allowed at that level. It was at the high school level, so we did. Um, he really helped innovate it at the pro level. Uh, and teams have adjusted to it, and I just haven't seen that. But I will say, it, I know we're going to talk about Wiggins. So I was, I watched all of Wiggins' points from his last game, and they ran some nice Rick Adelman corners action stuff using using what Brad Miller used to play before that Chris Webber, uh, the elbow area, and and Wiggins scored I think four or five baskets off those actions, either directly or indirectly. Uh, that's something I, I think Wiggins should be exceptional at. It's something I would like Coach Thibodeau to do more of uh, for reasons I don't know because I don't watch the team every night. They don't. But I, I, I think he's struggled to stay with what, what else is happening out there. And I'll tell you something else there, and this is probably a really important point that isn't talked about much. There was a period of time where I thought he outworked a lot of coaches. Like you, you could argue that he outworked, that he worked harder than everyone, and that isn't always such a good thing. I don't know what his family life is. I honestly have no idea if he even has a family. He does. I, I mean, he's he... got a mom that he still keeps in touch with. You but know, I mean, he's not married. He with loves kids. his mom. But like, yeah, I mean, he's not married. He doesn't have any kids. So I mean, he's got a lot I of free time. That. That, yeah. I honestly didn't know that, but that was my guess because he he just lives in the office. But what's happened now is because of advanced analytics and the plethora of opportunities to to have those analytics at your beck and call as a coach. You don't have to work as hard as him and be able to get the same amount of information. Uh, and, and it would take hours for me to explain all the, all the tools that these teams have. I've been lucky enough to tour, in one case, a facility in Los Angeles that was creating incredible data, uh, actually artificial intelligence-driven data, uh, computers that can watch a game and tell you what happened, and you don't have to watch it. It can just spew out the information to you. I, I walk in a room with 60 coders, all of them, brilliant college grads coding data so that these computers can watch the game and tell you, uh, give me every backdoor cut Wiggins made and everything else. So, so that advantage is, is largely mitigated. And I think this is one reason why we've seen what we've seen with him in Minnesota. He used to just outwork everyone, and, and now he can't. It's not that he's not trying. He just can't because of the ability we have now to automate uh, a lot of what he used to spend all night doing. All right, tell us what else stood out as you watched Wiggins and maybe you watched more of the Wolves on Sunday. I mean, maybe their most impressive win of the year. They had some other ones. I mean, yeah. they beat the Lakers here in Minneapolis. They beat the Jazz when Derrick Rose had 50-plus here in Minneapolis. But you win at Oklahoma City, and I get it. I mean, that was that was a schedule game. Oklahoma City had played the night before in Salt Lake, so, you know, advantage Wolves. But still, when you win in Oklahoma City, 
That's pretty impressive. No Derrick Rose, no Jeff Teague. When Tyus Jones is in the game, David, the ball moves. Now, Derrick Rose has been phenomenal, right? I mean, I don't know if he's the most improved yeah. player, sixth man, but he's something, I he think. Might, he could be both. He yeah, could be both. maybe he's both. But yeah. Yeah. certainly, I mean, he is going to dominate the ball when he's playing. With Tyus Jones, the ball moves. And lo and behold, maybe it's just a coincidence, but Andrew Wiggins has his best game of the year. Yeah, and like I said, I haven't studied all their actions prior to that game, but so here's what stood out at me first, as as I'm watching that as I'm watching that game unfold, is uh, like I said, the, the, some of the actions they ran I thought were really good for him. He's always been able to score in the post a little bit, so they did some of that. Uh, but what really jumps out at me, and what I don't I don't know if Thibodeau's done this, but I would do it, they just should do it, is I would show him what he looked like the, the millisecond his team gained possession of a defense offense, his casualness, uh, he, I, it, it's unfair to say he runs the floor. He doesn't. Okay, what I ask my players, I've written about this in my book. Um, I think there's a chapter in Basketball Jazz where I call it, where I talk about racing. Like, I don't use the word run. I actually, a friend of mine made a comment to me about using the word race or sprint. This is going back 20, 20 some odd years, and so that's what I've always done. I don't ask my players to, to run the floor. We ask them to race the floor. It has a, a different meaning, race, right? Because if you run a race, you're trying to win a race. You can just run for fun. But, but Andrew doesn't do either. Andrew, Andrew jogs. And the reason why I point that out is I would argue that if someone put a million dollars on the line, this could be a hell of a fun sponsor thing in the offseason for charity maybe, put a million dollars on the line and have them run basically, you know, 25 to 30-yard uh, sprints because it's close enough to an NBA court, I think Andrew Wiggins would be the fastest guy in the NBA. And, and that's why I think it's, it's sad that he, he doesn't value that. Uh, you, you, we've talked about Corey Brewer before, and I, I've been training another player for on and off for a decade, Ormy Caspi with the, with the Grizzlies now. Sure. Those guys race. They race. And one of the greatest comments I ever got was uh, Ormy Caspi called me one day from Sacramento. And says, Coach, I just wanted to tell you, we're at practice today, and George Carl was telling the team about Omri Caspi. He, about Omri, it's like, guys, you know, we've got to get our heads up. Uh, Omri Caspi is flying. He's the second fastest wing I've ever coached in terms of what he actually did on the court. He, and, and then he said the fastest guy I've ever had doing it was Corey Brewer. And Omri, of course, had trained with me and Corey for a long time. And that, like, was hugely meaningful for me because it's something we trust. Like, I just today said a video of Russell Westbrook with the ball, I actually have a chat about this too, called uh, uh, Extreme Ball Push. And when I coached, when I coached point guards, Derek Rose used to be one of my examples of when Rose got it uh, off a rebound, off an outlet pass, his first goal was to beat everyone to the rim for a bucket. And only if he couldn't get there because they flooded the paint, because they got back, well, then you start looking wide. Obviously, if someone's ahead of you, you would throw it. But if no one's ahead of you but bad guys, and you can outrun them to the rim, do it. And so I've always really been a huge believer in that, really taught that. I sent my son a video today of Westbrook did it in a game where he, he got a long rebound and he just exploded. In fact, the announcers even said that's vintage Russell Westbrook. And, and actually now in our workouts we do, we call it the Westbrook drill. We, we had called it the Derrick Rose before that. You may remember, remember a player named Brett Nelson? I don't. Brett Nelson was a McDonald's All-American from West Virginia, played at Florida. Uh, really special player on okay. uh, Billy Donovan's uh, first Final Four team. They lost in the championship game at Michigan State. 
He was a little like a six three, six four white kid. He was he played right after Jason Williams, white Jason Williams, and uh, so we went to go play for Billy because he was from West Virginia, and Billy had coached at Marshall University in West sure. Virginia. Yeah. And so I used to call Brett Nelson, and then I started calling it Derrick Rose, and then I then I now I call Russell Westbrook. So I greatly value that, and I don't think Andrew Wiggins does. That's just the bottom line. I don't know that a team values what they have in that kid. He is so blindingly fast. He gets down there in a few steps. I think he could get a bucket to three every single game he plays if he just valued it that way. And uh, think about the margins of error in these games. Think about his own percentages. If you could give him an average, let's just say it's an average of a bucket a half because he just beat everyone down the floor. He's almost always going to make those. He's not missing dunks. Uh, I think about what his numbers would be. So that's what, when I watch them, that's the first thing I think is how you're not taking advantage of the fastest player in the league. Uh, I, I'm a fan. Darren, I've been a fan of Andrew Wiggins since he was a rookie. People made fun of me over the years because I, I always thought he could be an all-star. I, I, of course, I still think that he could. He, he's not at his potential. And so, but that's the first thing. If I'm going to start with Carlton Towns and Wiggins, we're going to try to play top five in pace. That's just how I feel. Uh, because Carl's, he can really run. He's very skilled also. I'm really caught up on fastest guy in the NBA, David. I'm not denying yeah. that he's got, he's got incredible athleticism on the basketball court. Now, heck, there was, there was an Instagram video. The whole team went to Top Golf when they were in Oklahoma City on, on yeah. Saturday night. Watching Andrew Wiggins try to swing a golf club was embarrassing. I mean, so yeah. I don't know how much athleticism <laughs> he has outside of the basketball court, but on the basketball court, I'm not denying that. But, like, even on the Wolves team, I actually think Josh Okogie might beat him in a race. I really do. I, I don't, I'm just telling you, I don't think so. I think that guy, if, if he if he valued it, uh, there's been a few occasions where I've seen it. And, and keep in mind, just where I grew up coaching in the uh, in the middle. Actually, I started coaching. My first year was '87, and I was I just had incredible. I used to have athletes that when they ran, you, it looked like they were running on water. They were so fast, and we were very good at basketball. But these guys were also you know tailbacks in football, flying. I mean, the, the eighth fastest man in the world at the Olympics in 16 went to high school uh, in St. Pete, you know, 35 minutes away from where I live right now, and, and the high school coach for basketball there played for me in high school. Uh, I, this guy is from St. Pete. He was the fastest guy. We've had a bunch of them. If you watch college football, receivers all over the place from our area, all over the place. Playing for Clemson, typically, a lot of our guys go to Clemson in this area. Um, in Florida, Florida State, of course. So I, I think I know something about what a really fast athlete looks like. I just don't think it means something to him. And I, I, I think I remember his dad. Remember, I, I watched Mitchell Wiggins. Sure. I, I, I was a Gator fan. And my mother went to Florida. I, I knew I was going to go to Florida. I never even applied anywhere else. Got accepted to Florida September 1st, I think, my senior year. And, and if it had, my dad had said, if you don't get a 4 0 your senior, I'm sending you to junior college. I might never <laughs> pick up a book because I was, I was all set. I knew where I wanted to go and I yeah. got in. But my favorite college player probably was Mitchell Wiggins. I loved him. I didn't hate Florida State. I had no robberies and nothing to me. I just enjoyed the game uh, for basketball anyway. And I think his mom was a sprinter. Uh, I don't know what country she was sprinting for, maybe Canada. But um, I think the kid can fly. And, and even if you're right, I'm wrong. Who cares? You, what I'm telling you is watch him jog in transition. And, and I know that he would show on tape. I know he would say, well, look, there's already guys back. And I, and I, it's true. I just don't care. You still race because if you, if you don't race, then you don't force defenders to have to make a decision. 
because they only have to focus on where the ball is because you're jogging. But if you race, now you're forcing defenders into having to make a decision. What do I do? Do I stay home to protect the ball and not worry about the guy throwing the lane? Maybe he's running to three. And I'm not even saying he always gets dunked. He might get wide up with threes in the corner. But he's not even making him make a decision. And I remember one time, do you know, do you know what position LeBron James played as a rookie playing in the Orlando Summer League for the Cleveland Cavaliers? I mean, it had to be what, either point guard or center? So he, yeah, he was point guard. And yeah. I remember just, I went, I went to those games, uh, uh, and after one of the games, I was just in the stands, low, and I was sitting next to Paul Silas. And I was, I don't know, brass was the right word, but I wasn't, anyone, no, no one knew me. My first ever player was in that same summer league, and he wasn't on a team yet. You know how to have him. So I was just trying to make a name for myself with NBA guys, and I, I, I don't think I introduced myself. He was just, I think he was sitting one row in front of me. And I just said, sir, do you, you mind me ask, answering, asking, um, like, why are you having the fastest guy in this summer league, who's probably going to be the fastest guy in the NBA, playing point? When if he was off the ball, not only could he rebound more, because back then there were not as many threes, you'd be inside more, and start the break himself, but also when he didn't get the rebound, he could beat him down the court as a racer. And, and he gave me some you know, BS answer. And obviously <laughs> it wasn't long before he wasn't a point guard. He could have played point. There's no doubt about it. Oh, mind. absolutely could have. Yeah, he, I mean, he, and you're right. He could have played center too without question. Certainly when he got bigger. He was pretty skinny back then. He was, yeah. Uh, when he was 18. But yeah. um, I just think that you've got to race and then make defenders make a mistake. And if they execute defensively perfectly all the time, then you've, then you've run a lot for nothing, race a lot for nothing. But not doing it's a mistake. And so... When you look at the elasticity of the, of the Wolves, I still believe, I mean, talent has got to get much more consistent, and you, you would know more than I as what's going on there. I've not broken it down recently, but Wiggins, and I think this is probably where Jimmy Butler has some of his frustration from, like jogging just shouldn't be part of the game. And again, I've been his biggest, literally his biggest fan in the, in the national, on the national media scale, and, uh, but I'm disappointed when I watch him jog. You know who I'm not disappointed with is Robert Covington. Like, I knew David. He was a pretty good player, and he certainly hit some big shots. But he can put the ball on the floor a little bit better than I thought. He still needs to work on that part of his game. But I really like Robert Covington. I mean, all things considered, I still would have preferred Josh Richardson for the Jimmy Butler trade. But you know what? Robert Covington, Dario Saric, the Wolves should have, you know, with Carl Anthony Towns, they should have their starting front court for the next, you know, handful of years. I, yeah, I like that trade better. Uh, with what they did. I, I'm, I'm a fan of Saric. I saw him play in Europe, and uh, I've been a Roko fan. Uh, I've said this many times. Uh, I, I tweeted it and, and talked about it on podcasts. Uh, Daryl Morey probably is the best drafter that we've had in some time. If you look at his uh, second-round picks and, and how many have stuck, and of course part of it is getting the opportunity to play. It doesn't matter mm-hmm. if you're a second-round pick. It's great. If you don't play, you don't play. I mean, Dr- Draymond Green almost didn't stick in the NBA. He was a six and five guy his second year in the league, and no one would have even thought of him as a, as a great pick. So he has to play, and that's Steve Kerr's a lot of credit for that, as is Draymond. But yeah, Rocco is exactly what uh, you want. In you know, they call him three and D guys, but it's not just that. It's also energy. It's making plays on both ends, knowing how to play, not trying to do things you can't do. He's, I mean, you know, we've talked about how, over the years. We've talked about how did how did teams defend when someone else goes small and, and, we, and, and it's hard to play your big. But what, one of the things you can do is you can go really big if you've got long, athletic guys. And with Wiggins and Rocco, you, you can have one of those guys play on the four 
And, uh, and so you've got the beginning. If you have talented five, you can switch out if he, if he was really engaged and, and, and defend a lot of people. Uh, that could be a heck of a three, four, five. And then, you know, Sarwitz obviously could play the five, two. He's not as gifted uh, defensively as what Towns should be. I'm not studying Towns recently to know how well he's been doing defensively. Wiggins, Wiggins by the way, that's another thing. He's just been an awful defender. And it breaks break my heart because he should, he should be. I don't know what his wingspan is. Uh, I'm not sure he did it officially when, when he was the first pick in the draft uh, because normally they don't. He may have done it the year prior, but players still grow until about 20 sometimes. Um, but he's long. You can see it. He's not short-armed. And with his quickness and speed, you know, he should just be a better defensive player. And so um, Rocco at least makes up for some of that. But if he could ever do what, what Covington does, I mean, you'd have you have two lockdown, lockdown players. Yeah, two I, of them just, sure. I don't know if we'll ever get to that point. I mean, Rocco is one heck of a defensive player. I mean, and I knew he was yeah. a good defensive player. He's better than I thought he was. I mean, he is. He's not going to win defensive player of the year, but I'm just saying, I mean, if you break down the numbers, including deflections and what he does and shutting down the opposition's wing, you know, best wing player, you know, many nights, or at least keeping the uh, the opposition's yeah. best wing player in striking make distance under control, make him work harder. Yeah. I'm just telling you, I mean, I think Robert Covington is first team all defense. I really believe that. Yeah, a lot of people do. Yeah, he's, yeah, he, uh, he's, he's really good. Uh he is, and he does it. He does it all the right ways. Um, I'm, I'm a fan. I, I mean, Minnesota has, you know, a collection of talent. Uh, this is, this is really. There's no excuses for, for, for your coach anymore. You, you got rid of Jimmy. You got some good players for him. You should have, like you just said, you should have your starting five set. I don't know how long Derrick Rose can last. We're all hoping this, this goes on for years. And like I said, he's in the running for a six man and and I might be, and I'd be fine if he won both. Uh, he may not win either, but uh, they they don't have excuses. They like it's like in the Kings that uh, we'll talk about. You know, at some point you you you've got enough talent. You, you got to win, or or we got to look at ownership and management, and coaching, and, and make changes. I'll let you go after two more. Okay, on the Kings, a little bit more on Dave Yeager, and again, admittedly biased, Minnesota guy. Know his family, great family. I mean, he played at a very slow pace in Memphis. One now he's playing at the fastest pace in Sacramento. You know, right now, I mean, 18 and 15 winning. You know, Nemanja Bialica was an afterthought here. Bialica has a pulse under Jaeger. I mean, there's other positives with the Kings, but you think Dave is just in that average category? So I wrote a, I uh, mentioned him, oh gosh, 10 years ago in a column I wrote when I was at ESPN where I thought he, he was the CBA guy that was ready to coach, be a head NBA coach. I remember him, I didn't know him, by the way. He sought me out. I just had watched him. I'd watched him coach. He sought me out at a Vegas summer league and gave me. A, he said, "He said my wife, you're my wife's favorite because of you know what I wrote." And we got to be friendly. And I, I visited him a couple of times in Memphis. Uh, I didn't love. I didn't love how he handled things in Memphis. And, and I don't love some of the things. He, he, he can be a little bit of a an irascible guy, and uh, surprisingly so because I think he can be very genial also. Um, he, 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 he's not afraid to piss off management, which happened in Memphis and it's Looks mm-hmm. like it might be having some in Sacramento. Although those guys, maybe you should get angry with because <laughs> they've not done a good job in most years, and they've done a horrible job. Uh, I, I, I always thought he was. I, I think everyone's average with potential for greatness, or not, right? Like if you take away the terrible coaches. Most guys first start coaching, and they're going to they're at best they're going to be average. It's hard. The best league in the world, but by a huge margin. So uh, I mean, we, these are much better players, much better teams than the early teams. We're very, very, very good. The NBA players are that much better, typically. So we play a different game. So 
I think that he has potentially get better, and I love the change that he made. But when, when you when, look at it this way, when your point guard might be the fastest point guard in the league and your center might be the fastest center in the league, hey, yeah, you should play fast. Yeah, you're so right. I'm not, yeah. I'm not impressed that he did it. I would be very unimpressed if he didn't do it. Uh, he certainly has no apology to be to, to, be, to make, make for playing this way. I, I, I love Bogdanovich. I think he's really good. Uh, Lon Kruger was my, like, one of my two biggest mentors. R.C. Buford worked for Lon when I was sending players to play for the Gators uh, when I was coaching them. My, my starting center for four years in high school, who was one of the best players of all time in, in Florida history, went to go play for Lon Kruger and R.C. Buford at Florida. So I, I, I go back with those guys because of my, I went to all those games and everything at Florida, a lot of them anyway. And so when Lon's my buddy healed, because I've stayed in touch with Lon over the years mm-hmm. at Oklahoma, when he told my buddy, I, I started watching him, and then I sent them. Um, I actually have some young players in the area. They're in college now. They're really good players in college. But they went through his camp and everything, and Buddy was still there. Uh, I, I've just been a Buddy Hill fan for a long time. And, and, but, but I'll tell you this, this summer – I had some players that were spending some time in Los Angeles, and they were playing pickup every day. This was like in midsummer, and they were all telling me uh, Willie Collins Stein's unbelievable, which I had heard a year before also, and teammates of his in Sacramento, not just told me, but some others that told me how talented he was, and he just wasn't ever utilized right. Well, playing this fast, I mean, he, he is DeAndre Jordan with a perimeter game, and he's not filled into his body yet. He's a kid. Uh, I, yeah, I love their young talent. I don't know that Dave's going to – we'll see. Here's, here's the thing. If he can – if they continue to stay above 500 this year and, and maybe make the playoffs, maybe not the West is loaded, and then next year we see more growth, then I'm going to have a hard time saying he's just average. It would be more on that bell curve. He's leaning on, on the more positive side of average, heading towards maybe more of an elite level. Coach, he is a hardworking guy. I, I would never say he wasn't. Um, and, and he, he helped Mike Connolly uh, and Memphis develop as a point guard. So I do think that there is something to be said about uh, what he's doing with Fox. And I also thought Dave was a really good game manager. I thought less so in Memphis than I thought he was when I watched him play in the CBA. Uh, I thought he was an excellent, found ways to win games, which I think the best coaches do. They find ways to win games and not just leave it up to the players all the time. There's a reason why you're watching all that film. And, uh, and studying all the, all the metrics. So I, I think Dave's good at that. Uh, I'm definitely rooting for him. Uh, I, I think ownership and management there are terrible. The ownership, I really don't know. I know that I've met the guy a couple of times. seems okay, but no one ever says he's a good owner. Managers are awful, but the fans are amazing. I, I love Minnesota's fans. I love Sacramento's fans. Uh, really two of my favorite places ever to go watch games. And those, both these franchises deserve to watch teams, not just make the playoffs, but also have, have a chance in there. They've been waiting around a long time for that. You know, let's finish there, David, on those two. I mean, how do you size up the West? I mean, heck, I'm looking at the standings right now. I mean, Phoenix, okay, Phoenix is done, 8-26 and 26 in 15th place. Then you take the other 14 teams. Yeah. I mean, heck, they're all within nine games in the loss column. Denver's got 10 losses. New Orleans has 19 losses. I mean, whether it's the Wolves, the Kings, I mean, heck, who's – put it this way. Maybe this is the way to ask it. Who's the next West team to drop off? So Phoenix has dropped off. I mean, is it New Orleans? Is it the Wolves? Is it Dallas? Is it Utah? Is it Sacramento? Is it Memphis? Who, who in your mind, is, is the next West team to drop off? Well, this, you're not going to love the answer, but I want to wait until we get to the trade deadline, right? Well, I, I just yeah. we, We've seen teams get really hot 
And and so here here's what here's the challenge of the West. And I've been telling this on I mean, I obviously you know I do a lot of podcasts and I I say this frequently. If you're talking about let's listen at golf. And so let's say you're in second place in a golf tournament going to Sunday, the last day, and you're seven strokes off the lead, but you're in second place. Okay, so think of that. Now think of a guy three strokes off the pace, but he's in seventh place. So he's got six other guys in front of him. You must not be the first guy. You'd rather be seven strokes back with just one guy to catch. Uh, because when you're in seventh place, every, a lot of other people have to lose for you to do well. You mm-hmm. can't just do well in a vacuum. They have to also do badly, right? This is what we deal with in the West. There's so many teams. So uh, what I want to see is once all the trades are done and, and players get bought out and moved and so forth, uh, all those teams that you mentioned can win 10 games straight. And so what happens is when everyone's beating each other up, we have parity in this league, parity in a way like never before, if any of those teams can put together a 10-game winning streak, they're going to explode. Uh, and so that's what that's why until we until we really see what these rosters ultimately look like, um, I, I've been saying all along. I mean, the Pelicans. If you if you if you told me there and I had to choose, I would pick New Orleans because I, I think they're, they're, the people running that team are fools. I, I can't believe what they're doing. I watch them almost every night. I, I'm shocked knowing how fast Alvin Gentry wants to play. Your small forwards are Solomon Hill and Wesley Johnson. Wesley Johnson couldn't run for Minnesota. He was a rookie. Yeah. Like, it's not who he is. He looks like he should be that way. He, he plays like Andrew Wiggins does, and he was never the athlete Wiggins it was and is. Um, I don't know what they're doing. And Drew Holiday's fantastic. Uh, and Anthony Davis is on another planet. He's so yeah. good. I mean, they're trying. But, I mean, they tried to get Jimmy Butler. I mean, they're aware of their flaws. You know, easier said than well, done in yeah. terms of, and, of fixing. But, I mean, they've been yeah. trying to, to acquire some guys. Right, and they're stuck with some of the really bad contracts they did. Uh, I happen to be an Alvin Gentry fan. I think he's above average only because uh, I like his style, and I think players love him. I just think they love him. They love, you don't see that on the NBA. A lot of guys like JB. Uh, guys, guys see Gentry now as like the grandfather they all wish they had, and maybe some of them do. Uh, he just seems, and I mean that in the best way possible, just a decent human being who's under control, He's very professional. He, he, and one of the things I love most about Gentry is he wants the players to do well. I don't always feel that's the case with, uh, with NBA coaches, sadly. Uh, definitely not the case in Europe. NBA coaches are better, typically. Uh, Alvin really wants them to succeed. I just think they're so flawed. It's not Alvin's fault with, with some of their wings. But they could, they could get someone, whether it's, yeah, however they could do it. And so I just need to see where that goes with what they look like. And then we'll, and then I'll be able to get a better feel for okay, this team just can't can't get much more. But the Pelicans to me are up against it more so than most of those other teams, because uh, they are pretty hamstrung with what they can do. Their only difference is that they they have maybe, I mean, who's better than Steph Curry or LeBron James? Uh, you could, I know the arguments, but Anthony Davis probably is the only guy you could really mm-hmm. argue successfully right now with. I do wonder if I'm some team, guys. you know, does a Mark Cuban say, you know, to Dallas, hey. You know, now you can't tell guys to to mail it in, but you know, does somebody try to enter the Zion Williamson sweepstakes? And we can debate whether you know Zion's going to be yeah. a superstar or not. No, I don't no, know how much no you've debate. watched him, but there's no, there's no debate. There's okay, no debate. so he's going to be a superstar. So yeah. I mean, like to me, just being stuck in the middle, middle purgatory, to me stinks. Like where the wolves are, 
fighting for that eight spot, fighting for that seven spot. I'd rather hit rock bottom myself. And, you know, this is the year. I mean, there's many years, but this would be a year where hitting rock bottom, giving yourself a chance to get Zion Williamson wouldn't be the worst thing in the world. Yeah, so if we're having a philosophical discussion on it, I, 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 I get what you're saying. I, do, I would not be afraid to be in the middle if you're Dallas. Minnesota is a little bit different situation. In fact, Minnesota is very different, but I also wouldn't be afraid to be in the middle for Minnesota because you have so much talent there, especially with what should be a dominating center. There's just something else going wrong, and a wing that should be better than what he is. Uh, uh, I think that if you're in the middle, it depends on what you look like in the middle. If you're a, if you're a middling team like Memphis has been, where you got a bunch of older guys, uh, that's that's uh, that's not optimal. Not even close to being optimal. It's not it's not even great. Uh, it can be good because you're giving your fans something to watch for if they make the playoffs. Most teams have been in a successful season, and that's fine. Uh, Dallas has at least one superstar. Like Doncic, that he he is going to be a long time All Star. That's going to we're going to be old men one day, Darren, with grandchildren. And we're going to be watching uh, YouTube on their watch or on their glasses. But we can watch the same thing in our glasses. And it's going to be, you know, Luka Doncic highlights. And it's going to be, you know, 45 minutes long. He, he's, he's that special. I think their coach is really special also. Uh, statistics show that you know, Carlisle is one of the best that we've had. And so he'll tweak that stuff up. They may, they may trade Dennis Smith Jr., which is interesting. Uh, it won't make them worse. Uh, so he's an interesting piece to look at for some of these other young teams that are trying to collect talents and see if they can develop them. But um, I, I think that uh, I, I have studied Zion. He's the only college player I've really studied so far. And uh, I think he's going to be incredible. Yeah, I mean, he, he's got flaws. He, he's got to be managed from a, from a physical standpoint. You need to make sure you've got a chef with him. You've got to talk to his agent and his family. I'd want to meet with his parents. I'd want to meet with his agent if he's got a serious girlfriend as well as him. And I'd want to make sure that we're really on top of his eating habits and his workout habits. He's a kid. I don't care about now. But I don't want him at 280 when he's 19 years old. He needs to be at about 240, 245 with that body, maybe even 250, because he's going to add a little weight over time. I would show him what Kevin Love looked like when he was, you guys know, when he was a rookie. Um, and show him what he looked like in, in the body magazine. I'd want Zion. He, Zion's never going to lose his powerful hips and shoulders and legs. They're always going to be there. Uh, but a leaned-out version of him is going to be a destructive force in the NBA for, for a long time on both ends. I suppose the issue you have here is you have the front office boss, who's also the coach, who is absolutely coaching for his job. So, I mean, you know, it's it's great for me to say, hey, find a way to hit rock bottom. I mean, never in a million years would Tom Thibodeau ever go that route. 100% correct. So here's where, he re- here's where your coach really hurt you. Uh, this summer he had an opportunity to pick up uh, a veteran wing that could actually bring energy to the team uh, and, and make plays on the court and be in the rotation. But instead he wanted a, a locker room guy that had his back because uh, that's what coaches want. And I love Lou all day and trained Lou all day and helped and help, you know, was with him when he hadn't yet signed his big, his big deal. One of, one, of the nice people, one of my all-time favorite players, I have a chapter about him or two in my, in my book. But how many minutes has he played for you guys this year? Oof. I don't know. I'd have to look. Yeah. But, I mean, I, yeah. I mean, that's that's the thing. He, yeah. Yeah. So he. So my point is, and this is not at all thinking on Lou he, he did nothing wrong. Yeah. I mean, I don't even uh, know if it's coach. Fine. Yeah. I mean, it might, yeah, be, your coach. it might be one. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's yeah. I mean, it's, right. it's minimal. He, we know that. 
Yeah, and 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 I'm sorry. There there are and still there were and still are players that could be in your rotation, help you win games on the court, and also be a locker room guy. But your coach, being a manager, would never do that. A GM would never put a, a guy that won't play for you in the locker room just to try to cheer the guys up. It doesn't. It, you don't. You, it, there's too. The spots are too few to do to waste one on. And so I. Uh, I don't know what your owner's going to do. You, you guys should probably hope that he tells the team. But um, if he doesn't or if he, if he, if he stays on and, and, and decides maybe your new GM is good, I don't know. But there, there does seem their new whatever position he, he calls himself uh, that's working under Tom. Uh, this is it for a coach. This is, to me, uh, you beat OKC, great. What happens now? And I'll leave you with this. I say this all the time that to the coaches and the players. I love saying you've really screwed up and they do something good. Like the OKC win, I, I, at OKC, I would say, you guys really messed up here. And I say this to Andrew Wiggins especially. And I've used this with NBA players a lot. Like, this is who you can be. Like, you were, you overwhelmed Abrinas a couple of times. You just physically mauled him at the rim. Uh, uh, you, you read, uh, you had a beautiful play. Uh, I guess Paul George on the, on the left side of the post, the left post as you look at the basket where, he got to give him a shimmy shake, and he just he set Covington up perp- uh, not Covington. He set up Paul George perfectly to get his little fadeaway jumper. Like he asserted himself. He's not going to average thirty, but we know he can average twenty plus, and he can do it at a high percentage if he competed all the time. Uh, that is a big win. It's a good game for Wiggins. There is no question that that that's what they can be, and that's on the coach. If you can't get that, but occasionally, you're no good. Other coaches get more of those efforts more often than uh, than the average coaches do. Bad coaches tend to get bad efforts. Average coaches tend to get average efforts. Again, these are all just averages. The good coaches get it much more often, and the great ones get it more often still. And that's where it is right now. We just don't see enough consistency with their efforts. David, their always, David, always appreciate your contributions. Happy New Year to you and yours, and let's do this again sometime in January. I look forward to it. Thanks, Darren. I appreciate it. David Thorpe, I do believe he is truly brilliant, and it's the beauty of having him on the podcast. You put the quarter in the machine, let him go. I just love sitting back absorbing all of his knowledge. We greatly appreciate him giving us nearly 55 minutes. All right, I'll empty out the notebook to some extent. I'll save some stuff for the next podcast as well. Continuing the Wolves theme, they never inquired on Austin Rivers. He looked good on Christmas, didn't he? Nice pickup by the Rockets. The Athletic had him going to the Grizzlies. The Grizzlies actually, outside of a cursory phone call, the Grizzlies really didn't pursue Rivers all that much. I have no idea where Shams got that report from. But, yeah, he swung and missed on that one. But, yeah, Austin Rivers ends up in Houston. I will say that as January 10th approaches with James Nunnally on a non-guaranteed contract, the Wolves do have a roster spot that, in theory, is open. Now, maybe Nunnally is here for the whole year. And they think they have something with Nunnally. But if the Wolves see somebody out there, they could swap guys because they do not owe Nunnally money beyond January 10th. Now, if he's on the roster January 11th, then his contract is fully guaranteed for the year. Wolves GM Scott Layden, other front office members were in Vegas last week for the G League Showcase. We are a couple weeks away from season ticket renewals going out. I continue to hear that there are business people with the Wolves incredibly nervous they think that there's a lot of people that won't be renewing as long as Tom Thibodeau 
is in charge. But in terms of hearing any Tibbs is out steam right now, I continue to hear that the Wolves really don't have an interim coach on staff. I mean, everybody likes to champion Ryan Saunders' cause. I've yet to hear somebody say that Ryan is ready right now. I think Ryan one day will be an NBA head coach. I've yet to hear anybody that's worked with Ryan say, yeah, Ryan today is ready to be a head coach. Hey, Andy Greer has paid his dues forever. I mean, wouldn't Andy Greer be the logical choice? But even with Andy, I hear that Andy really isn't necessarily head coaching material. So does it make more sense to let Tibbs play this thing out, see where the season finishes? The Wolves should be able to compete for a playoff spot the rest of the year, but the Western Conference is a grind, so maybe they end up finishing in 11th or 12th, then pull the plug in April. But I do think eventually the end will occur. I mean, I don't think Tom Thibodeau ends up fulfilling all five years of his $40 million contract. And I'll continue to say that if the Wolves did not make the playoffs last year, not necessarily Tibbs, but the buzz was some sort of change was coming. So if they don't make the playoffs this year, I do think some sort of change will be coming. The Houston Rockets are now monitoring Anthony Tolliver's situation. I've mentioned previously that the Lakers and Sixers are as well. The Mavericks and Clippers like Tolliver a lot. I'm just told they don't necessarily have roster flexibility right now. So I don't think the Clippers and Mavericks are good bets for eventually acquiring Anthony Tolliver. Heck, the Wolves are showing no willingness to move Tolliver. I guess they view him as pretty good insurance. Heck, I know that Tolliver's camp would welcome a trade right now. New Orleans is another team to keep an eye on. I mentioned with David that New Orleans has been looking at all sorts of different possible acquisitions. I mean, they need some wing help. I mean, that would be another team interested in just about any wing that becomes available. But, yeah, there is nothing going on with the Wolves on the trade front. I've been asked about Jeff Teague. I mean, Teague is hurt right now. I continue to hear that it is not a long-term injury, but I'm surprised that it's another 7 to 10 days. I actually thought he might be back by the Chicago game on Wednesday night, but he'll miss that game. Derrick Rose officially questionable for the Chicago game. I'm led to believe that there's a better chance than not that he will play, which shouldn't be surprising considering that Chicago is Rose's hometown. The Wolves do have two winnable games this week at Chicago on Wednesday, then Atlanta at Target Center on Friday. So if they can get those two, they would be back to one game below 500. Currently 15 and 18 get these two this week. They can get to 17 and 18. 15 and 18 puts the Wolves at 13th place in the Western Conference. On the Twins front, they are still very much in the Nelson Cruz mix. GM Thad Levine has talked to Nelson. They have a history together from their Rangers days, so we will continue to monitor that situation, but make no mistake, the Twins are still very much in the mix for Nelson Cruz. I will bet that the Twins sign some reliever. Yes, some have come off the board. Joaquin Soria went to the A's two years, just over $15 million. The Twins had interest in Soria, but they had no interest in doing two years for Soria. So once the Twins found out another team was willing to go to two, they bowed out from competition for signing Soria. Again, they had no interest in getting the two years. New manager Rocco Baldelli in the last week, week plus, went to Georgia to visit Byron Buxton. He also went to the Dominican Republic to visit Miguel Sano, specifically on the Buxton visit. I'm told it went very, very well, which doesn't surprise me. I mean, everything I've heard about Baldelli is he is a great people person, incredibly genuine. He's a great connector with individuals. So the fact that him and Buxton connected does not surprise me one bit. The Twins do have interest in one starting pitcher, probably more than one. Remember, they kicked the tires briefly on Patrick Corbin. They were never going to six years, $140 million, but they talked to Corbin's agent. But here's another free agent pitcher they have interest in, the Japanese lefty 
UC Kikuchi. They have talked to Scott Boris about Kikuchi. The problem is it looks like Kikuchi, if he signs with somebody, now he needs to sign with somebody by January 2nd. Otherwise, he'll return to Japan. The issue is Kikuchi either has his eyes on the Yankees or a team on the West Coast. So it doesn't appear as if he is interested in coming to Minnesota. But nonetheless, the Twins have interest in him. On the Vikings front, Eric Kendrick should be okay. Hamstring injuries are always tricky. Think about all the Vikings that have missed games this year with hamstring injuries. So he was another one. Starting middle linebacker missed the win over Detroit. But word is the Vikings expect to have him on Sunday for the win-and-in game against Chicago. And reading between the lines with Matt Nagy's comments on Monday, it sure sounds like the Bears will take a look at what the Rams are doing at halftime. So all these teams are playing at 325 on Sunday. Let's say the Rams are up multiple scores on San Francisco at the half. Seems logical. Let's say they're up 10 or 14 or more. Then the Bears probably will rest guys. Plus, the Bears don't want to show their hand too much because that would set up a rematch the following weekend. Vikings at Bears in the wild card round. Remember, the Vikings can only be the five or six seed, and if they make the playoffs, we'll open up in Chicago, L.A., or Dallas. But again, Chicago is by far the most likely scenario. I saw that ESPN Insider speculated on Anthony Barr to the Raiders. It makes sense. I can tell you the Barr camp, no surprise, has the Raiders circled, just like every agent has the Raiders circled, when they will have in the neighborhood of $100 million dollars in cap space. I don't think the Vikings use the franchise tag on Barr. They would love to keep him if the number was right. But, you know, going back to July and August when the sides talked and even prior to July, I mean, the sides never came close to any sort of extension. Anthony Barr can make a ton of money on the market, and the Vikings just can't pay everybody top dollar. The Vikings do have interest in retaining Sheldon Richardson, but hey, that could be another situation where some team blows him out of the water, that he might have to take a little bit of a team discount to remain a Viking. But I know the Vikings have a healthy opinion of Sheldon Richardson. They absolutely would love to keep him. On Gophers men's basketball, Eric Curry still before this holiday break was not fully cleared. You know, he's going through some contact in practice. I think wishful thinking would be that come February, he can be a contributor. Now, the hope would be, and the belief is, he will play before February, but it will take him multiple weeks to get his game legs back. Keep in mind, the last time Eric Curry played in a meaningful game was the Middle Tennessee State NCAA tournament loss his freshman year. That would have been, what, March of 2017. What is that? 20 months ago, Eric Curry has undergone multiple knee surgeries. We have no idea if he can be the player that we saw his freshman year. The player we saw his freshman year is a really good player, a player that can help the Gophers a ton. But I just think wishful thinking, and it may not even get to this point, but it would be February, that maybe in February Eric Curry can really help this Gophers team. Their next big game is January 3rd at Wisconsin. That would be one heck of a game to grab. Wisconsin is ranked, what, in the top 20. They are really, really good in Madison. But, hey, if the Gophers are to get to double-digit Big Ten victories, you need to win a couple road games. So why not win in Madison? The Gophers offered a Chicago kid on Saturday, 6'6 wing. His first name is spelled T-U-J-A-U-T-E-E. No idea in the pronunciation. T-U-J-A-U-T-E-E, last name Williams. So Rob Jeter, Gophers assistant, saw him play in town. His team from Chicago played in town on Saturday. Rob Jeter saw him, offered him. He also has offers from Detroit, Texas Tech, and DePaul. The Gophers still only have the one 2019 commit, Trey Williams, who was on this podcast a couple months ago or maybe a month ago, whenever he committed. 
and he is actually having a really good season. I saw that one of the recruiting sites elevated him from a three-star to a four-star. So it looks like the Gophers' one 2019 commit so far is a pretty good player. Again, his name is Trey Williams, but the one they offered on Saturday, first name spelled T-U-J-A-U-T-E-E, and his last name is also Williams. On Gophers football, I expect to see Demetrius Douglas featured a good amount in the Quick Lane Bowl on Wednesday in Detroit. I heard that he continues to open up eyes. I mean, heck, we knew that when he had the Oregon offer coming out of the state of Oregon, he was a heck of a player. Being Omar's son, we knew he was a heck of a player. But he's somewhat lost in the wide receiver mix with Altman Bell, with Bateman, with Tyler Johnson. But that I continue to hear that Douglas has been opening eyes during these bowl practices. So I think he'll be featured a good amount on Wednesday in the Quick Lane Bowl. And I'm positive the Gophers will be down at least one starter on defense, a linebacker. And we know they are down Blake Cashman as well. So it'll be interesting to see how the Gophers respond down those two starters on defense, at least two starters. Then with Blaze Andry shifting over to left tackle with Donnell Green undergoing minor knee surgery and signing with an agent, beginning his pro preparation. And Cashman has signed with an agent. I know that the agent is waiting to announce it himself i can tell you that there is a strong belief from his agent that cashman will earn an invite to the combine in fact i believe that some invites have already started to go out cashman hasn't officially gotten an invite but i know his agent is feeling very confident that cashman will get an invite to the combine in indianapolis how about jalen suggs of minnehaha academy junior one of the best multi-sport athletes in Minnesota history. You know, you think about Dave Winfield, you think about Joe Maurer, you think about others. Well, certainly Jalen Suggs is in that conversation. He got a football offer the other day from the University of Georgia. So he's got Ohio State for football, the Gophers, Iowa State, Georgia. Who else? He's got a bunch of others. Then on the basketball front, he's got just about everybody. I mean, everybody in the country wants Jalen Suggs. He's one of the top 10 players in the country in the class of 2000. And 20 certainly has a future playing pro basketball. I believe he's an NBA player. I don't know if he's a one-and-done type NBA player, but Jalen Suggs is on a path to play in the NBA. That's how good he is in basketball. I know Gonzaga, who recently offered, had an assistant coach in town last week to watch Suggs, and Richard Pitino watched Suggs at a practice going back a couple weeks. All right, MyBookie, MyBookie.com. Be sure to use the promo code SCOOP, promo code SCOOP, They will give you all sorts of good deals. Think about all the great football games, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, then into Saturday with the two college football playoff games, Notre Dame, Clemson, Alabama, Oklahoma. Hey, I saw Alabama announced some suspensions, you know, to each their own. But, you know, if you don't want reporters digging, you know, talking to the U specifically, just get out in front of the story. I still think the U blew an opportunity by not getting out in front of that story, then turning signing day into a bit of a circus when they were given every opportunity by multiple media outlets to release a statement prior. Now, who knows? Maybe Rochelle Olsen of the Star Tribune still shows up at the signing day press conference and peppers Fleck with a bunch of questions. And I do think in that setting specifically, she went overboard. I mean, you don't need to ask eight or nine questions. I also think there's a little bit of a common courtesy to allow others in a press conference setting to ask questions. But hey, the U invited that onto themselves. I mean, heck, I had a U spokesperson tell me that PJ, in fact, would not be releasing any sort of statement, would not be addressing any suspensions until the signing day press conference. It was fair game. The point was, hey, if you want to ask the questions, PJ's expecting the questions, wait until the signing day press conference. I just think that the U could have found a way or at least tried 
no guarantees, but could have tried to avoid that circus by having P.J. Fleck at least release a statement. He was on the road recruiting, you know, so it would have been hard to do an in-person press conference, but at least release some sort of statement speaking to, you know, whatever was taking place. And he had an issue with the Star Tribune saying six to eight players. I actually think that's some semantics because we have some guys that aren't even on the team anymore. We've got some guys that are walk-ons. I just, you know... Some semantics there, but yeah, I mean, PJ can certainly come across and say, hey, it's not six to eight, and what we see on the field on Wednesday will speak to that, that it's not six to eight players, but I'm just saying we're getting into a little bit of semantics on the amount of players, but there were multiple players that violated team rules, and hey, us reporters, if we find out, we're going to ask about it, we're going to dig. We don't find out everything, but we find out some things, and I'll tell you this much, it is interesting. I mean, there's a lot of people with inside information, right? A lot of players, a lot of people talk, you know, there's coaches, there's a lot of people that have information. And it was interesting to me how many people volunteered information on this. So if they feel like they have everything closed door over there, closed mouths, that is not the case. People like to talk. That's the beauty of sports. People talk a lot. So information has gotten out. Tips have gotten out. Put it that way. Tips have gotten out on what took place. But hey, but nobody on the record with no real evidence. You may never see anything on Channel 5, but it's still our job to at least dig and figure out if anything, you know, really, really bad was taking place and if it's a recurring problem or if it was a one-time deal. And I'll continue to say this, too. I said this on the radio the other day. I'll say it here now. That to me, the narrative should be about P.J. Fleck cleaning up the program, that I think things became very relaxed the year-plus that Tracy Clay's was in charge that I actually think P.J. Fleck is doing a really, really good job internally of cleaning things up. Unfortunately, I don't think a lot of people realize that. So that, to me, is on the you to somehow get that message out because I think P.J. Fleck deserves a ton of credit for the internal work that he has done in his two years running the program. All right, that does it. We've rambled long enough here on Christmas Day night. It is Scoop Podcast episode 192 selfishly i'll be filling in three to six on 1500 espn thursday and friday former gophers quarterback connor rhoda will be in studio in the three o'clock hour on thursday reviewing the quick lane bowl we'll break down the game connor played for pj fleck and the gophers last year we had him on the podcast a couple weeks ago he was phenomenal so i figured hey let's have him in studio timely too coming right off the bowl game on wednesday late afternoon 4 15 central kickoff gophers and georgia tech from ford field Appreciate you listening. He knows you once ate an entire sheet cake. He knows your selfie life isn't your real life. He knows what goes down on the DMs. Shouldn't you know your dog better? Now you can learn his inner secrets with Embark, the highest rated dog DNA test. Unlocking over 350 breeds and screening for over 215 genetic health risks. Go to EmbarkVet.com and use promo code DNA. That's DNA to get $60 off an Embark Breed and Health Kit or Purebred Kit with free shipping. That's promo code DNA to save today. With Black Friday savings at the Home Depot, you'll find top brand kitchen appliances with innovative features that can do more so your holidays can be more. Ovens with built-in air fryers for baking the perfect cookies. Dishwashers with smart tech to clean everything from bakeware to festive mugs. And high-capacity refrigerators to keep leftovers fresh. Shop Black Friday savings and get up to 30% off, plus instantly save up to $750 on select GE kitchen packages at the Home Depot. How doers get more done. Offer valid November 2nd through November 30th. U.S. only. See store or online for details.